We're going to continue on in our series, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, looking at Hebrews 11. And we're going to read Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, and then verses 32 and 34. And then we're going to talk about Gideon, as you saw the kids was talking about from Judges 6. So Hebrews 11, and then Judges 6. I invite you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. And we'll, again, we'll start in Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. And then Judges 6, starting at verse 11. But Hebrews 11, starting at verse 1, reads, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And then drop to verse 32. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. And then if you turn to the Old Testament in Judges 6, we'll read the story, part of the story of Gideon. Judges 6, starting at verse 11. And it reads, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Orph, which belonged to Joaz, the clan of Abazar. Gideon, son of Joaz, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that this is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here until you return. Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat, and with a basket of flour, he baked some bread with ye without yeast. Then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. The angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on the rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of his staff in his hand, and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O oh, sovereign Lord, I am doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It is all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains in Ophrah in the land of the clan of Abazar to this day. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for this time that we have together to be in your word and to worship you. And we just thank you. Thank you for the kids that are here in service. And we pray for their hearts, Lord. 
We pray for our hearts as well. And we just thank you again for the gift of your word and the gift of your spirit that illuminates the scripture for our understanding. So Lord, will you prepare our hearts to receive your word today? Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, I don't. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So we're now entering into the portion of Hebrews 11, where the hero or heroes of faith is given, but what they did exactly to be considered a hero of faith is not given. It's not clearly given out before, if you've been with us in this good, bad, and ugly in Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews would explain why that person was given into Hebrews 11. But uh, so now we are going to take some liberties, but I don't think it's too far of a stretch to, to guess and see why they're considered in, in Hebrews 11. Uh, we'll follow uh, the blueprint, if you will, of the author of Hebrews 11 who gave it out, and, and we can look at their life and we can see what it is to be considered faithful. And that was the whole crux of this sermon series of taking our time going through Hebrews 11, looking at each character. And uh, I had mentioned to a couple of people this morning um, that I think, I think, I think uh, we might have to cover uh, Gideon in two Sundays. That wasn't the original plan, but hey, God's in control. And someone asked me, hey, did you just figure that out this morning? Uh, no, I figured it out last night. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> Uh, just looking through Gideon's life, and there's so much here to cover, and, and what is so interesting, if you were following along, is we are talking about a man who is considered faithful, he's in the hall of faith, and at least the first read-through, all I see is doubt, 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 are you sure, God? Um, and we'll even cover it. He, he says to the Lord several times, if you're able, if He's questioning the Lord. And yet, hopefully what we've discovered over the last two months or two months plus about Hebrews 11 is the faith that people have is really the faith that comes from Christ. It's the faith that comes from God. And what we're, what we're seeing here is how patient, how gracious, how merciful God is that he would use someone like Gideon because the reality is he would use someone like you. So here's the scene, since we, are not doing, since we are not doing a whole exegesis of judges um, this time around, just want to give you the background from where we left off of. If we left off reading that Rahab uh, saved the spies in return, her and her family were saved. And then the rest of Joshua, if you read through Joshua, which you have a reading program in front of you, uh, you'll see that there were a lot of ups and downs in the Israelites' life. And it comes to this scene where Joshua has led the Israelites into the promised land. They've taken over Jericho. They are doing mostly well. The Israelites keep falling back into sin. Joshua dies and the Israelites are immediately, it's almost as if they forgot that they had faith the moment their hero left. Which is a side note, a sermonette, if you will. Our faith has to be an individual faith in Christ through Jesus. It has to be ours alone, but it, it, it is not private, but it is public, but it is personal. 
So it's not private. It's not a, a faith that we should have that no one knows about that we hide in the closet. We touched on that just a bit last, last week. But it is public because people will see our faith, ideally, hopefully. And although it is not private, it is public, it's also personal. And that's what we see over and over again throughout the Old Testament, especially through Judges now, Exodus, Joshua, and then through Judges, we are seeing this over and over again, that once their hero dies, now what? And you can even see that even in modern day, if, if someone follows uh, a certain pastor or, or a family member and, and they die or they commit a sin, ah, this is it, I'm done. And we see this over and over again. And here's the cycle. The Israelites forget the promise of God. And that's what they're doing. They're forgetting the promise of God. And then they sin. And they sin by way of worshiping another God. And then all of a sudden they're oppressed by the fact that they're worshiping a false God. So they cry out to the Lord. And God is very gracious. And he sends help in a person, and now that person is a judge. And we are talking about Gideon because he is in Hebrews 11. There are 12 judges in total. Maybe you can make an argument that there's 13 because Brock and Deborah, but we'll cover that whenever we get there. But Gideon is number five, and the Israelites have been in trouble for seven years. They've had four other judges and it's the same cycle. If you read through the Judges, you'll see that most of each chapter in Judges, the Israelites have sinned in the sight of the Lord and he sold them into slavery. That's the new King James. Or he's given them over into the enemies. And you can see that right away in Judges 6, verse 1. We didn't read Judges 6, verse 1, but I'll read it here. Just, just so you can believe me. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Seven tends to be the number that God uses regularly. It's, it's a purification. It's a complete number. It, it's, he's giving over to their desire to worship the false god, Bellum, which is the Midianites for seven years. And what they would do is they would build up a statue and a pole or together, and they would worship. And again and again, they would fall into this trap. Which is interesting. The Israelites did evil in the, in the Lord's sight, so the Lord said, okay, if that's what you really want, you can have it. And then they cry out to him. And, and it's easy to blame God in our troubles. We'll see this, that this is the first accusation, if you will, that Gideon uh, points out to God whenever God comes and visits him in this wine press. He, it's easy to blame God. Why are you allowing this? Why aren't you doing something? It's, or it's easy to blame the bad guys in our life, those who have wronged us. It's easy. To, it's all their fault. They did this. It's their fault. Uh, when in reality, it, it, it's, it's because of sin, and that's what it is for Israelites. Now, just to be clear, if you're facing a hardship and there's not sin involved, we live in a world of sin. And, and God will always use everything if we surrender it over to him, and that's what we're going to see. See, because sin does this. This is what it does. It robs us of what we work hard to gain. It just robs us. There are many uh, accomplished people who lose everything in life because they, they won't stop their sin. And all is lost in order to gain what in retrospect seems like nothing. Sin seems to taste good until it doesn't. And, and then this leads 
And what we'll see is that the reminder to remind them that God is love and he is a just God. So he it needs to do both and he will do both. So let's just quickly walk through what has gone on. So uh, we didn't read all of it. They sinned in the eyes of the Lord. It's the next nine verses, it talks about these Midianites. Midianites are just awful people. What they would do, and you can read it through, is they had several camels, and it says they looked like locusts. And every time the Israelites would grow a crop or, or start a business, they would come in and steal everything and leave them to die, essentially. They would come in as locusts. You can... If you want to be nerdy, you can even go on the, the History Channel, and there's a whole section on the Midianites and how they would do this and ride in formation with their camels. It's quite interesting. I would show you a clip, but that would take too long. And there's kids in the service. But you would see it. It's just like locusts, and they would come and steal. And, and then finally, finally, the Israelites cry out to God. So for seven years, they, in their pride, they said, we can handle this on our own. Have you ever found yourself running into a situation and your first response is not to pray or ask for prayer, but to say, I got this, I can handle this, this is trivial? So finally, the Israelites surrender and they pray and they cry out to the Lord. And of course, the Lord has a plan. And that's where verse 11 picks up. And we'll pick up there in Judges 6. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Orpha, which belonged to Joaz, the clan of uh, Abazar. Gideon, son of Joaz, was threshing wheat in the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. Normally what you would do to uh, get this grain is you would go to the top of the hill, crush it up, then wind would come and blow off all the chafe, and then you would keep all the grain. And, but they're scared of the Midianites, so he was hiding and doing his job because he's hoping maybe they won't steal this grain. And then all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you, or New King James ESV, man of valor. I like that word. Man of valor, the Lord is with you. That had to be a shock to him. Again, as we talked about this, the Christophany of the angel of the Lord, perhaps Jesus showing up in, in the flesh here calls Gideon and he calls him a mighty hero. Now, what we've read and what we go through is by self-description, Gideon is the least of his family from the least clan in the least tribe in all of Israel. He's the runt of the runt, the least of these. Has anyone ever been picked last for a team? No, no, oh, man, you guys are star athletes, all right. I, like kickball was not my game, and I, oh man, do I kick with my left foot or my right foot? You know, I, I don't know, whatever. So hockey's better anyways. But okay, so anyways, last, the very, I can't stress this enough. I, it's easy to go through. Like the least of these, not only is his family the least in the clan that's the least of the tribe, which is least of the whole nation, like super runt, you see what I'm stressing? So he's just doing the work that since he's a super runt, the dirty work, and he's hiding in a cave, essentially in a pit doing this, and the Lord appears to him and calls him mighty hero. Now imagine, now if I was called a mighty hero at any time of my life, you got the wrong guy. So-and-so's down the road. If you just take two blocks down and turn to the left, there he is, right? So, and the first thing Gideon says isn't, who, me? The first thing he does, 
is he starts to accuse God. Sir, Gideon replied, if, and there's that, there's that word, if the Lord, and just quickly, sorry, just so you can follow along. In verse 17, if you drop down to verse 17, Gideon replies again, if you are truly, you see that? And then again later on, he says, and if you are with us, but let's stay at verse 13. We'll stay on track. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Isn't that a great question? I mean, that's an honest question. You know, the way that I picture it is if you're standing in a long line and you, or you're on the phone and then finally you don't talk to a robot anymore or a machine, you finally get a person. It's like you just want to express yourself so much. Finally, someone's on the phone. And he asks a question that I think, honestly, if we're, if we're truly honest in our heart, we do ask God, why has all this happened to us? Specifically, why, why am I in this wine press where we should be out in the field? I thought you promised us all of this. And, and he says that. He says, and, and where are all the miracles God our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? Now remember, this is, this is 45-ish years later from the Exodus this generation and the next generation has not seen that. This is all their great-grandparents and grandparents lived through this. We've heard all these stories about how great you are, God. Why, what's the deal? And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, or it, and then he goes on, excuse me, and he says, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. This is almost identical carbon copy of what the Israelites complained about when they were wandering around in Exodus, during Exodus, whenever they said it would be better for us to be in slavery. So God is calling Gideon for this great time to rescue his people. And the first thing that comes out of Gideon's mouth is, hey, I thought you were a good God. What's the deal? See, as we're going through Hebrews 11, as we're seeing this, we're seeing that faith is not perfect on our end. Because if I was writing Hebrews 11, I would have left this part out, to be honest with you. Wouldn't you? You know, whenever you, whenever you graduate from high school, you're supposed to give like a little statement. Or even whenever you post on social media, you take 30 pictures to get the lighting just right so you don't look fat. I mean, like, just be honest, right? Maybe me, right? I don't, selfie, right? You, you, you want your best foot forward. And I don't know why I held it up high. Maybe that's a thing. But anyway, you want to put your best foot forward. But yet, that's why we, that's one of the many reasons why we can trust God's word is because it includes the good, the bad, the ugly, warts and all. The hero of faith, Gideon, the first thing he says is, Lord, why have you abandoned us? This is all your fault. In reality, we know it's from sin. And, and, and while you're at it, why the Midianites? Like, they're wicked people. Why are you on their side? Have you ever asked yourself, why do the wicked people look successful? The Lord says, the sun shines, the rain falls on both the just and unjust. And then look at the Lord's reply in verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have, and rescue Israel from the Mennonites. I am sending you. 
To which Gideon said, are you going to answer my question or what? I just asked you, we've seen all these miracles our ancestors told us about. You brought them out of Egypt, and now this, I'm hiding in a hole. And then God says, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. God is saying, I am doing something, and I'm sending you. And then Gideon just <laughs> dropped dead, me? What do you mean? And notice this. This is so important in verse 14. It says, go with the strength you have. This is so... <laughs> If, if, only, if, if only you hear this this morning, you don't need anything extra than what God has already given you to do what he's asked you to do. That's it. Go with the strength you have. I'm sending you. I didn't say you had to get all this education. I didn't say you had to go to the gym and get super buff. I didn't say go to ninja school to learn how to fight. I mean, just... I didn't say you had to come from a better family. I didn't say that you had to have all of these things in line. Now, all those things are fine, especially in ninja school. But all those things are fine. But go with what you have. I'm sending you. And then, of course, you would think that Gideon's like, all right, I'm feeling pretty good. But look at what his reply is, verse 15. But Lord, and, and actually, <laughs> in the Greek, that but Lord, if you look at it, it's a wine. It, it, it's compared to uh, uh, most commentaries, mo most word languages suggest it is a whining child. But Lord, like that. So, okay, so you can see that. I'm sending you. But Lord, I want to. It sounds like a kid, right? Go clean your, you know, okay, whatever. But Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? How can I do it? And then he explains, as if God didn't know. My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. How can I rescue Israel? Don't you know who I am? He's questioning the Lord on each step of the way. Each step of the way. And God sent this messenger to tell him what the real problem is. The real problem is sin. And it's not the Midianites doing, it's your own doing, and I'm going to send you. And finally, when the Israelites cry out for help, and just a side note, crying out for help is not the same as repentance. Have you ever done something dumb and then just said, help me, Jesus, Jesus, take the wheel, whatever song you want to play, right? And the reality, you hadn't repented, you hadn't said, God, I, I blew this, I was wrong, I've sinned. So the Israelites have acknowledged now God is going to send the least of these to do it. But this whole time, Gideon is so focused on, God, why, why have you left us? And, and why are you sending me? I remember this old story, and I went back and looked at it, and it says, uh, uh, there's a story of a man and his wife driving down the street, and they had been married for some time, for 30 plus years, and the man was sitting behind the wheel, and the woman was far off to the right and just not looking at him. And then she looked over and she noticed the distance between them and this big truck of theirs. And she said, do you remember when we used to sit real close when we were dating? You used to put your arm around me and drive with one hand. It was so romantic. And the woman sighed and said, what happened to us? 
And the man looked over the steering wheel and then looked back at his wife and said, well, who moved away? Now, that's not to pick on wives, but that's really, the, I think, a good illustration of what it's like when we move away from the Lord. The Lord doesn't move away from us. See, and the problem with this story is, well, it assumes the wife is wrong, but the problem with the story is this is not a full picture of God's grace because if it's a picture of God's grace, the story would continue on and would show then that the man then pulls his wife close to his side, just like God is always pursuing us, even in our sin. He will allow us, he will give us over as we've read, we see this in Judges, even though this is under the Mosaic Covenant, we live under Christ's blood covenant, but he's always pursuing us. He's always desiring uh, a relationship with us, even when we are pushing away. And this is what we see with Gideon And again, going back to verse 15 of Judges 6, he says, how can I rescue Israel? And then a simple reply in verse 16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. I will be with you. See, the focus, there's a shift. There's this this focus that we see. Gideon is so focused on himself. And he's forgetting the fact that God is with him. And where did he find Gideon hiding to do his work? And the Lord, the Lord is with you. And he calls him a man of valor or strength. And, and again, Gideon must have thought, here, I'm hiding in a hole. But God sees a man for not what he is, but what he can be in him. And then these questions of if start and these doubting questions. And I think the first part of the reason why Gideon is in the hall of faith is because at no point do we see that he turns and runs. And I think this is such a key to our faith journey. Ask, and I say this over and over again, ask all the questions that come to your mind to the Lord. He is able to answer them. He is a big God. If you have your if questions, don't be ashamed to ask. Well, God, if this, then why this? Because at some point, Gideon could have said, you got the wrong guy, climbed out of the hole, dusted off his hands and said, God, God got the wrong guy. But he continues to ask him over and over and over again. And we'll see that because, and, and this is just a microcosm of the tribe that he's in. He's in a tribe of Manasseh, which is a half tribe with Ephraim. Because the whole tribe did not believe in God's promise. If you remember, they didn't believe that they were really going to have the land. So half of them stayed in the Transjordan area and never crossed over. And their excuse was, this is real fertile land, God. Don't you see how green and great it is? Why do we want to go over there? We all have to fight bad guys. So God allowed them to choose, and they cut themselves in half. And really, this, this tribe of Manasseh, which Gideon is a part of, it really is a, just a, a glimpse into the human heart, I think. You know, you want to do well, but then you don't. You want to follow God, but you don't. You, there's this tension where you're like, okay, God, I'll do it. And here, Gideon is so focused on himself, how can I rescue Israel? And God's simple answer is, I will be with you. So when you are tempted to say, if, Lord, if you can do this, uh, we are 
to remember that we are the little eye in the story and God is the big eye. If you can do this possibly, God, how can I, little eye, go to the Lord? See, because part of God calling us, first to himself, to salvation, second, he's calling us to do something for the kingdom, not to earn salvation, but just to work out our, our faith as we grow. As he calls us, He's not calling us to be alone. He's calling us to a closer relationship with God. The one thing that I've noticed over and over and over again, especially I've seen in my own calling to become a pastor, and I know several other pastors, the temptation for pastors is to assume that the calling is a calling to abandonment, that you will be alone, that it will be just you versus the world, or you versus the congregation, or you versus... In the reality, God never calls us to be abandoned. He is always with us and always sustains us. And, and what I, we see here in Gideon is he's so self-focused. All he can see is his resume, and God can see the future. See, faith was at a premium during this time. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, much of what we see in the world today. And he thought of himself, Gideon thought of himself as so insignificant from, the, again, the smallest clan, that he couldn't see why God would use him. And it's important to know that God has uh, sent us, but even greater, to know that he is with us. And that's the heart of this faith. The first thing that must be done is to deal with the sins at home. So he's calling him. We didn't read it. You can read it on his own, but on your own. But, but just to cover, the very first thing that, that he ask Gideon to do is to go and take two bowls, one to go knock down the statue that is in his father's backyard. Imagine this. You are called into a full-time ministry, and the very first thing you have to do is go down, go and knock down your dad's idol. Hmm. What, anyone in here, you don't have to raise your hand. You were the first one to come to a saving grace of Jesus, and you had the responsibility of telling your family. Hmm. Terrifying. You mean I got to tell grandpa? Ugh. Do you know grandpa? That's the first thing that the Lord does. See, and, and you'll see this over and over again. Part of the faith journey is God wants us to deal with the sins at home before we go and get the world. Because if we go out into the world not dealing with the sins of our own, then we are not standing on even footing. So, that, so he sends him out. And you can read the rest of it. He sends him out and, and he takes it in the middle of the night because he is scared. And it's real easy to pick on Gideon so much and I'm trying not to because I see it in my own life. He waits the night. Well, technically God didn't say I had to do it in the middle of the day so everyone could see. So he goes and he knocks down it and then with the other bull he sacrifices it, builds an altar and worships the Lord. And that's exactly what he does. See, because this whole time, he is so unsure of himself. Even before he does all that, he says, okay, now, now Lord, before I do anything for you, I'm going to go and make a meal and bring it to you. And if you're good with it, you'll stay here. Good? Deal? Great. And he runs, makes a deal. He, he devours it. The Lord devours it. And we see this transformation. Okay, Gideon's like, okay, I can take one step. I can trust. I can believe it. I know that he is with me. And then it moves on, and if you, you drop down the Judges 6.25, specifically when he takes that bull 
it says, Judges 6.25, that night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asher pole standing beside it. So everything's great, right? No, if you keep reading on, you'll see that the next day people see it obviously torn down. They start asking around. They find out that it is Gideon. Then they go to Gideon's dad and say, we're going to kill him. His dad has this whole conversation with him and saying, well, if Balaam is really a, a real God, then can't he just strike him dead? Can't he handle himself? They're like, yeah, good point. And you see that throughout history. You can go through and you can see, uh, especially in, in Africa, you'll see that when certain tribes again and again come and accept Christ, especially if the chief or the leader accepts Christ, the, the first thing that they want to do is get rid of all of their idols. And there's one specifically um, that I was just reading about in the 18, late 1800s, a missionary came, he led the chief to Christ. And he, the chief was then going to throw all the idols into the fire. And all the people said, you're going to disturb them. And he says, okay, I'll make you a deal. I'm going to lead out, leave out all these idols for a week. And if the gods don't want their idols to burn, they can come and get them. They never come and get them, obviously. So he throws them in the fire and then from that. But dealing with that sin at home. And we see here now that Gideon is like, okay, I'm feeling pretty good. Let's see what the Lord has for me next. And then if you drop down Judges 6, verse 36... And this is probably the part of the story that you're familiar with. Judges 6, verse 36 reads, Then Gideon said to God, If, if, here's that if again, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised. So this is very accusing. This is, this is his way of saying, If, God, you're going to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put out a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promise. Okay, got that, God? If you're going to do this, here's the test. And really, this is a link to what the issue is with Gideon at the very beginning. Remember what he said all the way back in Judges 6, verse 13? He says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles? So essentially, Gideon is saying, I want to see a miracle. And now we can't, now there's, there's this temptation to look at Gideon and either one say, well, it just makes good sense for him to get affirmation. After all, he's a little runt. He's unsure of himself. It's not very clear. Or we have the temptation to say, this is wrong. Why would you ever test God? It says, do not test God. And, and actually, for me, how I read it is it's somewhere in the middle. It's very honest. It's very realistic. Should he have questioned God? No. Yet, God allowed it. And God is very gracious and very patient. So he puts out the wool. If the fleece is wet with the dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know you're going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. Verse 38. And that is just what happened when Gideon got up early the next morning. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the whole, a whole bowl full of water. I love this detail because it's not just a little wet. It's soaking wet. It's as if God said, well, okay, watch this. You're open for a little bit. Let me pour. Let me show you. One of the fir, uh, In the first century, uh, Odeon, 
uh, one of the first century commentators, he always liked uh, to uh, take these and create these word pictures of what it really means, these allegories. And, and he wrote this whole long dissertation on how the ringing out is the representation of the Holy Spirit to come. And that's pretty great. I don't know about that. Maybe it's just water in the bowl. But, do you, but all, what I appreciate about the Odin was what he was writing out is that he said, and as Gideon was ringing out, he had to be surprised that it wasn't a drop or two, but the full measure of what water could do in a bowl. So it even shows that what Gideon had to ask God was actually a lot smaller than what God was willing to do. So then you would think, okay, I'm ready to go. Sign me up, Lord. Where do I go next? Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me. Just one more thing. But let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. And, and in the Greek, whenever he says, let me make one more request, it's the same emphasis, the same wording that Abraham had whenever he was going and saving Sodom and Gomorrah, that whole, or saving Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. Just maybe one more. I know it's like 50 to 10, oh, maybe just one guy. If I could just make one request. And let me use this fleece for one more test. This time, let me let the fleece remain dry while the, gr- the ground around it is wet with dew. See, because in the back of his mind, I think it's real easy for us to talk ourselves out of it. Because at least for me, how I read this when he does this is, yes, he's testing God again. Yes, he's so unsure of himself. His whole life, we don't know his age. I looked in vain to see how old he was, and it wasn't given, but we know he lives for another 40 years. So let's just guess he's 20. I don't know, just for fun. For the last 20 years of his life, he knew he was the least of everyone. And I think for us, in our old identity before Christ, it can continue to creep up of who we used to be. And, and that's the enemy's attack saying, hey, do you remember when you, do you remember before Christ? Do you remember how you used to? Remember all of the deficiencies? Now you're really getting into my head <laughs> the way that the enemy talks. Do you remember how you were scared to death to talk in front of people, now you can't shut your mouth? Do you, do you remember? So this, at least for me, how I read this is Gideon sees this point where he's like, well, what happens if it was just like accidental it got wet? I mean, maybe it really wasn't the Lord. Maybe I was hoping so bad it was that I'm forcing it. Anyone have these thoughts? Maybe, maybe it wasn't. Maybe I didn't hear from the Lord. I have so much doubt. That's the enemy whispering. But yet God is so gracious. Let me just leave this fleece out for one more test this time. Do the reverse just to make sure we're good. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. What a gracious father. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. See, what what we see here is um, sometimes we think we need these special signs from the Lord and, and we think, and we even say, well, have you left out your fleece for the Lord? I've heard so many people say that, which is not wrong necessarily. Oh, well, maybe the second fleece. So we see this as the first miracle, Gideon's first miracle. But the very first miracle is the fact that the angel of the Lord appeared to him. 
So we don't need a special sign that God loves us because he forever demonstrated his love for us on the cross. That's according to Romans 5.8. And this is true for many other things in our life in which we live post-resurrection. Specifically, God has given us his word. So many times I've spoken to people saying, I just want to hear a word from the Lord. I say, when was the last time you read the Bible? Well, you know, uh, what was the last thing you read to me on Sunday? And, I'm, and if you're in that, I'm not picking on you. I'm just simply reminding us we do have God's word, and I think it's easy to limit the power of his word. It is his word. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. The second thing is when it comes to guidance for things in our life, God's word spells it out, and it is possible to look for and expect confirmation in various ways. You ask some people, you ask people to pray for you, you run it through, you run it by people. Um, you know, some of the great ideas I have, we do have elders, and I don't do this alone. You shouldn't do this alone. And also, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is faithful to reveal himself for those of us who put our trust in Christ, that we are filled with his spirit. See, the problem isn't with God's power. It never is. It's with our own perception of God's power. And, and many times we won't say, oh, I'm limiting God's power. What we say is, but do you know me? Do you know how bad I've been? The answer is no, but I know how gracious and merciful God is. A problem with following Gideon's example, if you're sitting here thinking, I can't wait to get home and leave out my blanket for confirmation on something, is that it does not take into account that our situation and his are really not comparable. As Christians, we again have those tools that Gideon lacked. First, the word of God. God breathe. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16. And God has assured us in his word that we are equipped through him and through the work of his Holy Spirit. So we have all these things. We have the gift of him in us. So as we are looking at our problems, as we're looking at our situations, as we're looking at a man of faith, what we are seeing is someone who did not give up going to God when he didn't understand. That is part of the reason why he's in the hall of faith. He said, Lord, okay, but I have lots of questions. And the Lord said, that's good. I have lots of answers. Just be faithful. So rather than seeking signs through a fleece, we should be content to know that God's will for us in every situation, as Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. First Thessalonians 5, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And finally, Colossians 3.17 and whatever you do, whether it is word and deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God, the Father, through him. And finally, just one other thing. If, if you're sitting here this morning and you are in a situation where you really wish you had a fleece, and you really wish that God would confirm and affirm and confirm again and again, I, I would suggest, which I've been suggesting throughout this whole series of Hebrews 11, if we just quickly look at Hebrews 11, verse 34 
as he's giving a list of the things that, that the men and women had done to be considered faithful, quench the flames of fire and escape death by the edge of the sword. And here's the key. The weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put, on, put whole armies to flight. Their weakness was turned to strength. A.W. Tozer says he cannot use a man greatly unless he destroys them or breaks them fully. So if you're, again, if you're sitting here wishing you had a fleece, I, just a couple of things just to note. Don't worry about the outcome of being faithful. Just be faithful. Don't worry about the outcome of being faithful. Because deep in our root, especially in America, Western culture, when we do things, especially in a Christian community, we want to do things well so other Christians recognize it and say, good job. It's not about good job from them. It's about good job from the Father. And second, if you're, if you're wrestling, and this has been my theme statement, and you're probably going to get tired of it, regardless of your last step, make your next step an obedient step. Whatever it is, the obedient step may be simply, God, can you confirm this? Because I'm really scared. Whatever it is. He's faithful. And mostly, if you remember, that regardless of where you're at in your faith journey, God is always the one in the driver's seat. And if you feel distance from him, you're probably the one that moved to the passenger seat. Let him bring you to him. Sit on his lap and be loved by him. Let's pray. God, thank you for just scratching the surface of Gideon. And, and though we see a, a man who has uh, questioned every step, thank you for your faithfulness of not giving up on him. Thank you for your faithfulness of not giving up on us as you continue to care for us, even when we insult you by saying, if you really are the Lord, Lord, you know our hearts, you know... So you've, you've dealt with our sins with your son on the cross, Lord. And Lord, as you call us to various things, first mostly to be a child of yours and then whatever it is to serve your body, to reach the lost, to serve one another. Lord, if, we're, if we have doubt, let us not run from you. Let us bring it to you, Lord. Lord, thank you for using someone like Gideon, the least of the least of the least. It encourages us to know that you will use us. Lord, will you remind us that when we ask, how can you use me, that we are reminded from verse 16 that you will be with us, because you are. And Lord, we're just thankful for who you are and what you do in our lives, Lord, and we're just, we just bless your name. So Lord, as we sing a couple more songs to you, will you just reveal to us whatever it is that you've been trying to speak to us this week, if we've been turning up the noise to ignore you, Lord, or maybe it's just sitting in the, the knowledge of knowing that you love us, Lord. I pray for anyone in here who doesn't have a saving relationship with your son that you call him, him or her to you, to know that the sin is great, but your love is greater. So thank you for your grace and your mercy. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.